We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're feeling the love and you just want to throw your arms around a stranger, remember the safest place to do it is in the penalty box on the pitch. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. There's no place safer to just throw your arms around someone and show them your affection for their quality as a footballer, which is what was being done to Gabriel Jesus in Southampton. And I think the outrage about it is hard to understand because we need more love and affection and appreciation in this world of trolling and toxicity, and that's what we saw on the pitch. And the referee, I think, was so caught up in that that sweet moment that he just forgot to blow the whistle. Only possible explanation, my friends. I do want to let you know that this podcast is not just going to be a referendum on refereeing because that's not the purpose. This was a frustrating draw. The Premier League is hard. An away draw is not a catastrophe. It is certainly a disappointment based on the way we started. And I think that these are sometimes the hardest pods for me personally. Because we could just spend the whole pod being, oh, the referee took it from us. And like, there's certainly justification to that view. But that would deny us the opportunity to look at the things we can control. And my argument would be control what you can. And what you can control is your play. The manager after the match said, we didn't do the simple things. He said, I have no complaints. I think he was saying that because he knows there will be complaints and they will be discussed and he won't need to bring them up. And we will certainly touch on them. But let's try to have both the ability to say, hey, the referee did a bad job and Ask the questions about what in this game could have been done differently, might have needed to be done differently to make the the one point, the three points. I hope you're doing well wherever you are. Um, if you did watch our uh, stats review over on Patreon, then you will have known that Newcastle looked very, very good, looked like one of the top four teams this season, and they certainly did against Tottenham. And it's funny, in the wake of them beating Spurs, my immediate usual reaction of joy at Spurs losing was sort of blunted by this wave of nervousness because here come Newcastle, right? They're here sooner than maybe we expected, and that's not going to be going away anytime soon. So there's a lot happening. Arsenal still sit top of the table. It's a beautiful way to start the week, and it's a beautiful time to introduce Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. So 
Tim, I, I guess let's just let's just do this. Let's just get the ref stuff out of the way. Okay. I, I debated and debated and debated where that should go in the pod. And I feel like people listening today or whenever, well, if you're listening, it's today. So <laughs> people listening today, because it's today for you, um, are here in part because they want to hear us be outraged about the referee. I think not doing it now just leaves it hanging out there and and blocks us from having an interesting conversation about picking Tomiyasu on the left or some of the performances or some of the finishing and all that. So let's just get into it. This was a day, in my view, where we got a bog-standard bad Premier League ref performance in some ways. Kind of what we used to see at Stoke away. A lot of grabbing allowed, a lot of pulling allowed, a lot of rough play that generally should be and is a foul allowed. A lot of borderline stuff, like being punched in the back, apparently. Not VAR-worthy, not, not a foul. But obviously the critical call, the call that that probably is the reason we don't go on to win the game comfortably is the penalty. So let's just start there. My initial reaction in the moment was, it's a 60-40 pen. I've watched it more, and now I'm more like it's a 90-10 penalty. I have to at least be honest that my initial reaction was 60-40. And the reason is, none of the individual things he did were a pen. In, what I mean is, he didn't pull a shirt. He didn't kick a leg. He doesn't fully lock the arms and grab him. He doesn't take him to the ground. But there's so much contact and so much impedance. That's more not the word I mean, but you know what I mean. Impeding of Jesus, that there's no possible way Jesus can just play on there. Uh, he, he is being impeded. And it's probably a pen, and it's probably a red and in the wake of McTominay getting a very similar thing called a penalty the day before, it is a little bit hard to tolerate. So that's my long-winded way of saying I come away thinking it's injustice. But in general, on the ref generally, if you'd like, and on the pen specifically, where do you come down on it? Yeah, sure. So I should say I watched this game cold. I watched it this morning. I didn't watch it live. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, I guess I watched it at that remove. That'd be, um, I'd be curious how you connected them with the refereeing performance because yeah. I think that's very different than in the heat of the moment when you're getting angrier and angrier and angrier. Definitely, definitely. But what I was doing was occasionally in the first half and throughout the second half kind of looking at my Twitter timeline. I listened to the second half commentary and I was kind of looking at Twitter while I was listening to commentary. The first half I, I couldn't really engage with because um, I was I was doing something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I, I think it was a penalty for the exact reason you say. It's a confluence of of kind of things. I think, you know, he has a little nibble and you go, mm, maybe not. Then he has a little drag and you think, well, maybe not. And, and yeah, o- overall, that is definitely a penalty. Like when you look at the law, the definition of, um, of a foul in the area is about whether you impede a player. It's mm. not about like whether you clean them out or whether you rip their shirt off their back. It's about impeding. That is the word they use. Mm. And by the way, that doesn't always actually mean it has to be contact. I remember a penalty we conceded at home to Leicester um, during the, that was the the Danny Welbeck day, the one that Vardy got and it was Monreal and there actually wasn't any contact, but the justification for the decision was, well, Monreal stuck his leg out and therefore impeded Vardy. Therefore he had like the right to go over or whatever. So I, I do think it's a penalty. I think I do understand, even if I don't agree with why it's not given, I think the way Jesus falls he kind of falls backwards and it's not a natural fall. Now, 
that's not the same as saying it's a dive or anything like he that. He exaggerates the contact, which he may does. lead the ref to thinking, oh, he's diving here. Yeah, yeah and, and actually I think he's entitled to do that as well. Again, course, for the reason yeah. you say, he doesn't go down at the first contact. He doesn't go down at the second. Then there's the third contact. And at that point, he's like, for fuck's sake, like I've been dragged back here, right? Um, or, or rather, look, yeah, I'm not going down because that third bit of contact actually dragged me to the floor. It's to draw your attention to the fact that he's all over me. So I, I think so. I think it is a penalty. Um, and I think overall, what we got from the referee, um, again, I, I watched it. I'm not convinced it made a huge difference to the game, to the, the pattern and the, the tenor of the game. I think there was a consistency in the referee's approach in terms of he was letting the grappling go. He was letting the kind of body stuff go. He wasn't letting like the niggly fouls and the trips and things like that go. The, the problem is with this kind of let it flow approach. First of all, I think a lot of referees just aren't quite at that level where they understand the nuance of what let it go should mean because yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in support of that. But for me, the thing that really made the Premier League a, a worse product to watch over the last couple of years is when players try to draw fouls, you know, that sticking your ass out and falling over. Like yeah. That's appalling yeah. to watch and I don't want to see those given as fouls. It just seems like the referees don't really understand that nuance where actually let it flow shouldn't mean well, actually, if you pull a guy back, don't worry about it. That's I don't think anyone wants to see that either. And I think what we got from the ref overall was just, I, th- I think, a fairly inexperienced performance um, from him. There are a lot of things like, you know, booking Saka, like, fuck off, that's not a booking. And in yep. the second half, you know, that little bit where um, Saka gets, he gets given an advantage when he's like surrounded by three players. And it's like, come on, that's not an advantage. Come he, on. The, he like, gets the advantage. Loses the ball one-tenth. Yeah. Phil called this out on the instant reaction. He loses yeah. it one-tenth of a second later. And, and then and, the ref gives the gesture of, I'm playing the advantage. Yeah, and, and that's just, I think that's just an experience. And and the thing is, though, with referees, like, they have to get, it's like it's like a young player, right? You have to give them experience at some point, and their inexperience is going to show. And I think that's what happened with this referee. But yeah. like, they have to learn on the job, right? You can't just... You can't just say, I want all of the referees to have like 400 appearances because you can't. Same reason you can't just say, I'm not going to play this 21-year-old today because I want someone experienced. Like at some point, you've got to give them that. Can I so, make a point about that though? Just yeah, quick. sure. One of the reasons I was in favor of VAR at the very beginning before it even was in the game is it helps the refs. There, there's some subset of referees who are inexperienced and mm. having that that VAR technology there saves them from walking away from a game with their head hung in shame, feeling like, I blew it. I blew this game. I'm not ready. Because when there's a big call like that penalty, VAR can step in and say, you know what? You didn't, you didn't see this right. You need, you need to give a penalty there, but like it didn't. And that's the part I don't get. Yeah. It's in the gray area, isn't it? Because VAR kind of says, unless it's like an egregious error. And and again, (laughs) there are times where it absolutely does not do that. Um, But it kind of, I, I can see why they didn't think the threshold was high enough to overrule the referee in in that specific it's it's kind of an unlucky one i'd say that like overall this is a theme i'll come back to later but maybe like the one we got against liverpool was mm-hmm. like slightly generous yep this was probably more of a penalty than that 
and and it is that i know people hate the evening out thing it and and, out, and, yeah. and and like i i do understand that like i'm not saying therefore it's all okay but you know i think like there's a couple of like the Liverpool one was more a borderline penalty. We got it. We won the game. This was slightly more, like that was a 50% penalty we got. This was a 70% penalty we didn't get. It's, you know, I, I don't think there's anything enormously malicious there. Yeah. And when we move off of the refereeing stuff, I will talk about why I think I'm connecting to this game slightly differently than other people, because I do think you have to control what you can and the referee very much not in your control. To your point, Tim, if I offered you right now, we can have the penalty yesterday but you lose the one against Liverpool, you lose the red card against Spurs. I'm keeping the decisions the way they went. Some go for you in a season, some go against you. So far, the way they've gone for us in general, you know, the the red card being rescinded and the pen not given against Gabriel at the end of last week against Leeds, like I'm, I'm probably keeping the decisions the way they've gone for us so far. So Clive, like it, it is definitely the case in my view that if we get that penalty and we score that penalty, this goes on to be a comfortable victory that doesn't happen. I mean, assuming for a moment that you believe the penalty is a penalty, do you think the refereeing had more of an impact on the game itself? I mean, there were some weird things. Like, what's his name punched Jesus in the back twice and wasn't sent off? And look, it's light. It's not like Jesus was going to get hurt by it. He got like a back punch into the spine. But like, by the rules of the game, by the laws of the game, it's violent conduct. It's 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 a red card. The The hands around the throat at the very end. I mean, I don't think that was going to change the game. It was four minutes in the stoppage time. So it's just some weird decisions in this game too, where you're like, I mean, the letter of the law is pretty clear here. I don't know what law book they were using, Clive. <laughs> yeah, I think the referee had an interesting game. It sort of reminded me back in the days when we were when we were really good. Sometimes some of those early decisions, you think to yourself at the time, well, we're going we're gonna to score in a minute, so it doesn't really matter. And I think sometimes the referees think that way because we were such in charge. It, it was a joke. That's true. Yeah. And, at, you know, on minute 11, I think that penalty incident was, or just after we scored. And at that moment in time, 12, I, yeah, I, I fancied minutes, yeah. it, but I wasn't thinking it was going to change my life. Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking, well, when are we going to score? So let's be honest, yeah. right? Let's be honest about how we walk into a room and we judge things. We judge things based on outcome. Now, if I'm the referee, the way Jesus controls that ball, what he does brilliantly is he, he controls it across the defender. So straight away now, he's in charge of the duel. And for that defender to level out the duel, he has to grab, he has to hold. Right. So this is an easy decision to make. Honestly, it's easy. The Jesus one against Liverpool, 50-50, right? interpretation, got booted. If you want to give it, you can, because it's there. If you don't, you don't have to. You can say it's an accident, right? So 50-50 went our way. This one, football match decision. I've come across my defender. The only way you can get back goal side is to pull me. You pulled him. So what did Jesus do? So I just looked online, actually. Jesus spoke to referee. He said, I spoke with him, the referee, straight afterwards. And he said, if you go down before, maybe I can give a penalty. Right, So that tells you he tried to stay on his feet and he went down late. He thought, you know what? I can now make it more of a contest because you didn't go down straight enough on the first grab. I actually think the first grab may have been outside the box, but I may be wrong. Right, But what this is doing to me is telling me the temperature by which, by which the game is managed. And I felt we were so superior in those early occasions. A human behavior of a referee, they sometimes want to level it out with a plucky team. Come on, we all know it. We've been the big team for long enough to know. We've seen this many times. And so it's just, it happened again in this game. I will say, though, you come back to controllables, Elliot. 
if, I don't want to encourage this by my feedback, but I've got to say it, right? If Jesus goes down, if Enketa goes down, if Jesus stays down a bit more, if he controls the referee, what the re- sometimes you have to control the referee that's in front of you. And if the referee, yeah. you need to get to know him. And Eddie's got headbutted. He hasn't gone down. Now, do I want him to go down? Probably not. But I don't want the defender getting away with it. Do you see what I mean? I want to make mm. sure you control the referee based on your reaction to the physical contact. Martelli got smashed early, landed on his shoulder. We could be talking about Eighth a shoulder minute, injury. Elbowed in the air. Uh, yeah. uh, pardon. Yes. Seventh minute, elbowed in the air. Mm-hmm. We could be talking about a, a two-month shoulder injury there. No problem. Then our season's mm-hmm. in a bit of turmoil. Do you see what I mean? And so there was lots of physical contact on Jesus. Got stood on. He got smashed a couple of times. A party got smashed after half time a couple of times. They got physical and they were allowed to get physical. But when it comes down to it, we got to control the referee better by our reactions to these incidents, make sure he's spoken to and understands what's going on. But the most important thing is let's get the second goal, real, can we? So we can control the temperature of the game. If we get the second goal, that means people are out of position, stretched out, over committing, and we're not under the stress that we were under because we didn't do what we should have done when the sun was shining on the day. Yeah, well said. And so I, I hope that that satiates everyone's need to be outraged about the refs. There is no viewing this game without viewing it in the context of a referee that made it difficult for us to play the football, for us to keep the game flowing, for us to, I mean, look, away away matches are hard. Uh, City drew at Villa at a time when Villa couldn't play a lick of football, right? It can be hard. And you're not going to dominate away for a whole game. You know, a big story of this game is that Southampton started 4-4-2 and it was a mess. By the time Hassan Huddle adjusted, we struggled to cope with the adjustment a little bit. And so in the period where we were dominant, we needed to put the game away and the penalty would have helped us do that. But you have to control what you can. And we can control a lot of the things that we did not do in this game. And I think it is, again, important to read uh, Arteta's comments at the end where he said, any, any complaints? No complaints. I think we stopped doing all the simple things right. And the next sentence I think is really, really spot on. We're going to get to this in the second half. The distances on the ball positions were too far. We gave too many simple balls away in very dangerous areas without much pressure, and that didn't allow us much continuity like we had in the first half. And I think that is spot on. I have not seen a game this season where Thomas Party was that far, that disconnected from his passing options where we had such big distances developing between the players. And I don't know if they thought it was going to be easy and everybody wanted to go run up into the attacking third. And you know, we lost some of our discipline because we thought it was going to be fun. I don't know. Because, Tim, if I read this out, third minute, Saka puts in an in-swinger. Gabby's inches away from tapping it in. Seventh minute, Martinelli slips Jesus in. He gets a heavy touch, so it leaves to Shaka, who hits a uh, side netting from a tight angle. Or, pardon me, hits it right at the keeper stings the keeper. Uh, eighth minute, Odegaard, top of the box, softly slots it wide when Saka and Jesus are wide open on the right. Tenth minute, Shaka, another world-class goal with his right foot because, of course, twelfth uh, minute could have been a penalty. Twenty-fourth minute, Odegaard plays in Jesus from a turnover, hits the side netting. Okay, we get the Saka yellow for diving, which, you know, we discussed. Uh, and then we have thirty-eighth uh, minute, Martinelli takes on five guys, gets to the top of the box, shot deflected for a corner. 43rd minute, Odegaard lifts it to Jesus quite beautifully, volleys, and it's saved. There just were so many opportunities. 
and we didn't finish. And I, I guess I'll ask you, firstly, are you worried at all about Jesus? My opinion is that finishing is just variance. That you're going to go through games where everything's hitting the back of the net, and you're going to go through games where nothing is. And in general, unless it starts to stretch out 10 games, 12 games, like Giroud, I think, once went 12 games without a goal, something like that. But I don't think he was banging chances in and missing them. He just wasn't getting the chances. If Jesus is getting into these kind of dangerous positions and getting these kind of chances and being this involved in our play, in general, I'm not going to be worried. But I know there are people out there wringing their hands a little bit about Jesus. I'm not there. I'm curious if you're getting there with this performance in mind, given that I think he's going to feel real disappointed that he didn't come away with a goal or two in this game. Yeah, definitely. I'd say long-term, not worried at all. Um, I, I think essentially, he. I think there's just a bit of fatigue in there, um, basically. I think that's kind of all it is. And I think um, probably a theme coming out of this this little period lately, where, by the way, we're starting games really well and finishing them badly. And what mm. does that tell you? Fatigue. I mean, exactly. What's the reason for that? So we're starting games the same way. We always started games, but we're not finishing them that way. There's there's really only one reason for that. So I think there's a bit of that. I do also think that maybe particularly in this game, one of the things I, I've always said about Gabriel Jesus, one of the kind of explanations I, I always had for him being under his XG at City was that he, he put a lot of pressure on himself because yeah. he was behind Aguero and he knew he had to make miracles every time he stepped on that pitch. And, and sometimes he does it for Brazil as well. So 2018 World Cup, that really impacted him and he tried too hard to score and it didn't come. So I do think there's maybe an element of him thinking, ah, I haven't scored for a few games and actually we're not playing brilliantly. The games we're winning, we're winning 1-0. And actually, so it's, it's a bit more of a problem now. So I do think that he maybe put a little bit of pressure on himself and we saw that yesterday I think it was a frustrating game for him yesterday not in the way the Leeds game was because the Leeds game he couldn't get into into it Mm -hmm. whereas he was well into this but what was happening was he missed a couple of chances I also think just squaring this back to the referee he got nothing like nothing I really think the referee thought he kind of dived for that penalty I think that's why Saka gets booked because I think the referee, and again, this is where I think the referee showed a bit of inexperience. I think he was he was carrying that grudge. And so he booked Saka and Jesus got nothing, no fouls. You reference the punch in the back, everything like that. So, you know, he. I, I think there was a lot of frustration in this game for him. But I, I think my main takeaway from this, definitely, like you've both said, You've got to take the game while it's there, particularly at the moment when we're getting so fatigued in the second half. We've got to make it so that there's nothing available for the opponent in the second half. I think what kind of... You you know, after the Leeds game, I said I was a little bit dubious about the kind of, oh, finding a way to win when you're crap um, and all of that. Like I I do believe that, but I also do believe we were lucky against Leeds. My, Mm. My kind of frustration here is, like I said, I followed the second half. I listened to the commentary and I was looking at Twitter. And when I went back to watch it this morning, I was expecting that we were going to come under a lot of pressure from Southampton. They create like they created they literally they create the goal, and <laughs> yeah. the goal was a nice move and all of that. Yeah. And you know, it wasn't a lucky goal or anything. That's all they create. We weren't actually under a lot of pressure. Leeds no. created loads, and we yep. were pushed right back. What Southampton did was they stopped us creating. Yeah, mm-hmm. but 
but they didn't really do much themselves. But because it was only 1-0, they didn't have to. And I think um, I think one of my thoughts after the Leeds game that I was I was kind of turning over after we did the pod was I was thinking like the next step for this team is when we win 1-0 away from home, I don't really want it to look like the Leeds game where I have a heart attack um, every mm-hmm. time they come forward and it's like the Alamo and I'm look- and I'm like we're all like chewing our hands off watching the referee watch the monitor. I want our 1-0 away wins to look like Man City's. Boring as fuck. So yeah. boring that everyone turns it off and can't watch it because it's just Man City rolling the ball backwards and forwards. That's yep. how Man City win 1-0 away from home. They don't do it like bringing on Rob Holding in no, the 93rd I- minute. And that's what th- that's kind of what disappoints me here and in the Leeds game, really, is that we're not doing that. And again, it's just it's the it's the next stage for the team. Yeah. It's that boring one nil where we just we're like Arteta's three hundred thousand passes, and that's what disappoints me here. I understand how Southampton impacted our rhythm, both with the tactical change, and that's a little worry that Leeds and Southampton have both made tactical changes in the game and been able to stop us through doing it. But it's just the next step for this team to either yeah. a just kill the game off with by taking chances, or if you can't do that. Just don't give them the ball and yeah. go home and take the 1-0. And we had done that in some games, to be fair. We did a bit of that in the Liverpool game at the end. I, I want uh, Clive to add on to that, too. And I'll, t- I'll say one thing about Jesus just very quickly. Watch Kane, if you can stomach it. Watch Holland. Watch Jamie Vardy at his peak. They rested a lot. And when the ball came to them, they were fresh and ready to kill you. That That's how Kane does it. Even Holland, young kid, he rests a lot in games. Jesus, you saw this with Lacazette last season, but he was carrying a refrigerator. Jesus is young and he's spry and he's fit, but he's putting in so much work. He's getting grappled and wrestling and stuck into a wet pitch and working and grinding and dropping deep. And so then when the moment comes, then when he's in, in the 59th minute, and he's got to carry it a long way on a soggy pitch, are the legs a little heavier? because he's been in the wars, because he's been working so hard. That shot's going in, by the way, and it's blocked beautifully. The guy from behind comes back and gets a foot on it. He should have made the run across the the defender. I get it. But he's scoring there, and it's a good stop. But my point is, these other strikers who rest a lot in matches, I do wonder if Jesus' role and maybe Lacazette's role last season, we saw it a bit, is there's so much work they put in that that extra burst, that extra sharpness, that extra step when it's critical – you know, maybe maybe it is taxing them a bit more than other strikers are uh, in other ways, and that could be dead wrong. By the way, Clive, you want to layer in a bit more tactically there, though, and I I think that there's a lot of meat on the bone for the second half too. But but what did you have to add? Yeah, well, Spurs haven't won a trophy inside a 32 inch waist, so let's not worry about how they set up, right? Because um, mm. because and if you'd notice in this game in the last five minutes, Jesus was in our left back position, clearing out of our box. And he oh, knows. it wasn't a, can I, can I just, no, 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 I want, I'm, no, 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 I'm listen, saying, listen, are listen, there listen, listen, yeah, listen, okay. listen, mm-hmm. and basically, and he has won trophies in the last five years, and the requirement is we play as a team, and we do what we need to yep. do as a team, in all facets of the game, on, off the ball, we fill in for each other, when people jump out of holes, we jump into holes, so I get your point, Elliot, not from a critique point of view, I think, um, just on JT's quickly, the chance to me that the Jay Juice chance is when Overguard flicks it over the top and that's the volley. That's his chance in the box, early shot, snap. I haven't seen Jay Juice run from the halfway line and slot very often. 
So I'm not too worried about that one. The step over in the box where he does double step over and then kicks it left, that's his sort of chance. So for me, he's had three chances in the game and he's missed. I expect one of those to go, you know, just one of those to go. And the one, the volley, the snap volley, I know it's difficult. That's him. That's him all day. Flash it in. Hit it well, though, didn't he? Oh, he did, he did everything fine on target. Um, left foot mm. one, I would have gone inside a bit. But hey, look, it's his choice. Yeah. He, he's the one going to World Cup, not me. And, uh, and the halfway line, the halfway line one, um, it was just, he's he's a speed agility guy. He's not a, a, a speed endurance guy. I mean, it's like three yards nearer and that's in. You know, he's at the end of his yeah. end of his run. You know what I'm saying? He's a heavily muscled yep. guy. He's not about pace. He's about endurance. And he's just, give me three yards nearer. And that's an easy slot. He gets his body around it. And it's all done, right? So he'll, he'll come back. I felt this is the issue, right? And it may lead on to other issues for you. On both weekends against Leeds and Southampton, and Tim, last week you were talking about games in blocks. I take these two away games as a block, right? You're telling me four from six from those two performances. I'm I'm happy with that. But, you know, if you'd have flipped around the other way, we beat Southampton and draw to Leeds, we'd have said absolutely fine. You know, based Fair. on the game, yeah. mm-hmm. the outcome is yeah. a four from six after an Arctic Circle away trip and another European game. These are the days you really earn your corn, right? In this period, and everyone's dropping points that we saw at the weekend. So. I was fine with it. But what they did, and this is what's going to lead us to maybe some other things for a transfer window and how we use our left back, etc. In both games, they really blocked out the middle and they tried to block off Thomas Party. Thomas Party for the first half hour of this game, my goodness, how good was he? I mean, yeah, it was just impossible to miss him, right? Linked to Odegaard, Saliba, Thomas Party, linked to Odegaard. It was all beautiful. The sun was shining. Everything was lovely. They stopped him. Now, in previous games, when they stop him, we look to Zinchenko or we look to someone else to come in and do that. Tommy Asu's not really that guy, but Tommy Asu's absolutely required for double the amount of corners we received against Liverpool, long throws and defending our box. And as we're going through this period of fatigue, let's be honest, we're not all we're not we're not we're not done. We can see what's happening on the pitch. You know, we can you can almost see when the treacle comes out and people start not being able to run. You can almost see it, can't you? So we're going through these areas, this period of fatigue. I'm happy having a solid back door. But what when we are then stopped in certain areas, we then lose the next phase of our attack. And I felt in this game what I had to try to do once the centre was blocked was bring Shaka back in and then push Tierney up, which nearly led to a second goal, by the way. You know, that move, it nearly led to a second goal. Mm-hmm. So that's how we adjusted to it. He brought Shaka back in and then he pushed Tierney on. So I thought tactically, Southampton blocked it. You're absolutely right, Elliot. They blocked the middle. It forced Odegaard way too far right for me. He was on the touchline and he nullified Saka by his own positioning. We lost Martinelli because we couldn't get to him. And so we, we needed to be a little bit more... I know I'm taking Arteta's words here and he said, be a, bit, be a bit more courageous. Be a bit more courageous with our inter, internal passes into the interior. Go into the interior with pace and quality so we can go back out again. And what we did is we went backwards a lot and went over a lot and that forced collisions with the referee that we didn't get. And then they got momentum from that, you know, with our passes being sloppy, etc. So for me, block the middle. What do we do? What do we do? Where do we go? Where do we go from the bench? 
This is a big thing for me. Where do we go from the bench yeah, to that, change? That was a big story in this game too. Where do we go from the bench? I won't take it from you, mate. I'm sure it's on your list. Where do we go it's from the bench? Part, yeah. Because I didn't feel anything from the bench. And also, in the second half, a number of our players dipped in performance. And if you add on the substitutes that didn't bring didn't bring the noise, mate. They didn't bring the noise to substitutes, apart from maybe Tierney until he got smashed. Didn't bring the noise. And so then you lose a few, four or five on the pitch at their levels. You bring on a couple, and two of those players, for me, didn't reach their levels. Suddenly you got six or seven players not at their level. I'll take the point. I'll take the point and get on the bus, honestly. Yeah, you, I can always tell how the performance went because when we do the instant reaction we do something called stock rising and we do something called stock falling and there are a lot of days where we're like skip it there's no stock fallings we'll each do two stock risings and some days it feels quite the opposite but you know it tried to balance it this weekend like i knew it wasn't a great performance because when we went to the stock rising we had one that we felt pretty clear on and then after that everyone was like uh <laughs> um and then on the stock falling we're like well it could be this guy but it could be this guy it could be that guy it's so who is your who's your stock rising? rising i haven't listened to it yet who's your stock rising? I, I think the clear stock rising was uh big gabby gabby yeah. Magalli. well done well like, done i mean yeah he um you know it's funny saliba a lot of people are gonna be like oh terrible game bad giveaways it's so funny when you look at the data on saliba right he misplaced three passes this game once again a 97 percent passing game but he's developing this weird habit of slow rolling square balls that get picked off. He's done it in a couple of games now. And Gabby, uh, Big Gabby does such a good job closing down there. He just had a really, really good game, both on the ball and defending. It's it's interesting, right? Two of our less good performances this season. Second half against Leeds, second half against Southampton. And who is the star? Gabby Magaliash. When we've been forced to defend, I think you've seen him. He likes to defend. You, you see know, Saliba likes to be in you control. You see out the box later yep. on. Oh. Yep. Mm. He literally and used head way, in heads. I, I want to give, <laughs> I want to give uh, Mikel some credit because I'm going to give him some criticism, but I want to give him some credit. Um, apparently, before the match, we were doing a lot of practicing in the warm-up, serving in balls right under Ramsdale's bar for him to try to punch away. I guess we knew that Ward-Prowse's corners are going to be real good right under the bar, crowd him. And Mikel, or the set-piece coach, whoever it was, clearly had studied that. We were practicing it apparently pre-match, and we looked very ready to deal with it. And I thought Ramsdale dealt with it really well. So good example of preparation leading to success. So something that we should flag as credit. Uh, Before we sort of shift to what did start to go wrong in the second half? And really, I, I retweeted something on Twitter. I'm not going to read stats because reading stats doesn't make for good audio, but if you want to go look at it, if you put together the first half stats from Leeds and Southampton and the second half stats from Leeds and Southampton, the combined second half stats from Leeds and Southampton paint a picture of a team that had lost control, right? And and really, you, you could see that. You don't need the stats to know it. But Tim, I think one of the big decision points in this game comes before the game. And... I mean, I can't sit here and pretend I thought it was wrong. But I think it's curious. And I think it winds up being an issue for us in this game. And that's the decision to stick with Tomiyasu on the left. I think Mikel Arteta pulled off a masterstroke against Liverpool, putting Tommy there to nullify the guy who likes to cut in on his left, to you know, to be a, a, a shutdown defender. But I think our access to the left flank in this game just generally was challenged by Tomiyasu, who likes to... Look, he is bought an ambipedal or bipedal, whatever you want to call it, right? He he can pass with the left, pass with his right. But I remember Clive used to criticize Hector Bellerin, say his first touch is inside, he shuts himself down, so he can't he can't fade it down the line. He can't play it up the line to the, you know, to the winger. 
I think Tomiyasu does that a lot too. When he gets the ball, his first touch is inside. He shuts himself down to the inside. He doesn't leave himself room to go out wide to Martinelli. Um, and and he looks just a little bit uncomfortable on the ball out there, a little clunky in ways that he doesn't on the right. So yeah, you can be two-footed all you want. You can still be a little more nervous on that side, you know, when he looks it. I, I think when Tierney came in, we saw the impact he can have with his overlapping. I don't think we had too much to be fearful of with Southampton. I think in a game like that, you could go with the more attacking uh, fullback in, in Tierney. So it's not so much that I thought Tomiyasu was terrible, although I think on the goal they score, he and White have to look at themselves. But I, I thought the decision winds up looking wrong in hindsight. I'm not going to pretend I was like really keyed in on it pre-match, but I know there were other people that were and feel it's very harsh on Tierney. And it is ironic because our last couple of seasons derailed down the stretch with Tierney being injured and us flailing to solve the problem. And now the guy we bought to replace Tierney or, you know, compute Tierney is out. And instead of just going with Tierney, we're doing the same thing, right? We're rethinking our lineup and moving a right back to left back to play for him. So did you find that to be a big decision point in the game? I did, yeah. And I, I didn't really agree with the selection. I didn't agree with it against Leeds either. Like you say, I think he was he was given a very specific detail against Liverpool and it worked mm. really, really well and it made tons of sense. And I even said before the Liverpool game, like, yep, I, I can see why we're doing this. That strikes me as a smart selection. And I kind of understand as well that sometimes like coaches, when they select teams, they do have to factor psychology in for example like I do understand that and mm. um, it, it's funny I had uh, a conversation with the Arsenal women manager Jonas Eideval this week it's really similar like the women played away at Lyon um, in the Champions League they dropped Vivian Miedemer and they played a midfielder called Frieda Marnham because they wanted more physical presence she played brilliantly Arsenal won she kept her place but I kind of asked him before the game because I was like you can't really drop her now because she's been brilliant but she was given a really like specific tactical role against a very different team. So yeah. how do you balance that? And he said, like his obviously it was before the game, so he didn't come out and say, yeah, I'm going to play, I'm going to do it. But he said, like as a coach, I have an obligation to look at performance and you know give the message to the players that if you perform well, that you get rewarded for that because there's a whole psychology behind it, not just for the individual, but for the group, the kind of, if you play well, you're, you're in kind of thing. And yep. if you're not playing at the moment, it's because the person ahead of you is brilliant and, and it's maybe not on you or it's not your fault. And, but when you come in, if you do that, then you'll stay in. It's like for the whole benefit of the group, I get all of that. And so I kind of, I didn't agree with the selection against Leeds um, maybe if they still had Rafinha, I would have, but they don't. Yeah, yep. Um, th this game, I really didn't agree with it. I, I kind of feel like with the amount of games we've got, I kind of felt we could have run the clock down on that and maybe given, you know, Tomiyasu Thursday night, Tierney this game. Yep. Um, and, and, and I agree. And maybe it's because I didn't agree with it in advance and that I looked at it a bit more intently when I watched the game back. But I think you're right. I think like we went backwards a lot from Tomiyasu. Or even when we went forwards, it's not quite as you're right. When you're, it's to his immense credit, he's so two footed, right? His mm. immense credit. Every player should be like that. But it, you, you still have a stronger side. You just do, right? If you're taking a penalty in the World Cup final, you you know which one your stronger foot is. You know which <laughs> yes. one you're taking on. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, the, the there's not the same kind of swaz on the pass. You know, there just isn't. So even when it went, 
up the line. I, I do think we should have played Tierney in this game. I think the thing is, you know, Tierney and Zinchenko give you such different things at left back. Mm-hmm. And Tomiyasu kind of doesn't really, like he's a shutdown defender, right? And and that's what he's brilliant at. I, I guess what you could say as a caveat is that in recent weeks, Ben White has really discovered how to overlap. I mean, to be fair, he sets a goal up, I think, against Bournemouth back in August doing that. But we didn't see that from him as much. He sets one up this time. So he's become like the overlapper yeah. of the, of the oh, two yeah. fullbacks. And actually, it works here, and it's been working quite well. So maybe Arteta's just looking at the balance and kind of saying, well, I've got Ben White as the overlapper, and actually he sets up a goal. Um, and, and he doesn't want two of them. So I guess if you were going to sit down and have a private conversation with Arteta, he might point that out. But yeah, I, I think Tierney should should have played this, should have started this game. And I get it. If you say to me, who's more suited to play that sort of tucked in third center back or second midfielder type role, Tomiyasu or Tierney, it's probably Tomiyasu just about. Um, but I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know that it worked. I want to, I want to stay on this with you, Clive, real quick, because I think it is, is an important point of the match, and then we'll we'll move into the second half and the subs in particular because I think that, that that's an interesting talking point as well. But just firstly on the goal, on their goal, I don't think Tomiyasu does well, and he does well in a way that he does poorly in a way that you don't expect from him, which is he gets turned around, he sort of gets twisted up, which you know that kind of undermines <laughs> oh, the thing that we say he's 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 really good at. And then Ben White, so Ben White gets dragged central, which is fine. But then he drops, and he doesn't hold the line. And if he just holds the line, that's offside. Um, so I think I think that the the combination of Ben White dropping and Tomiyasu sort of getting turning the wrong way lead to you know it's a nice little slip pass, it's a nice goal. But how do you how do you see if you want to talk about Tomiyasu's involvement on the goal, go for it. Otherwise, you can just talk about the decision generally. But I think in general, it, it is certainly maybe it's maybe it's post hoc analysis. But I think there were a lot of people even before the match that were curious about him getting the start over Tierney. Yeah, that's a, that's a it's, a, it's a fair fair debate. That's, that's part of the fun, isn't it? I think. Um, yeah. yeah. Play my players. Just, I will like. uh, do the goal first, right? So the first issue with the goal was we got done on the halfway line with a dummy, and Saliba's on the halfway line. He presses up on Joe Rebo, gets dummied. As soon as that goes through, numbers game. Look at the screen. It's four v four, whatever it was. We're we're in trouble. We're in trouble now. We've lost our superiority. Party's not in the picture. He's got rigor mortis. He can't get back in. Martinelli, as Tim just pointed out, he wasn't back in. We were resting, thinking forward. We weren't thinking we'd get done with a dummy on the halfway line. It was a surprise when they broke in, right? So everything now is a reaction to this. Complete reaction to that. And Stuart Armstrong, who is their best player and always plays well against us, uh, and he made a fantastic run off the shoulders. And when he, because he's ran so aggressively, it's very difficult to pass these people on. So when you got runners distracting, Ben White drops in naturally. We do it all the time. Shaka does it, runs through. When you run through, defenders drop off because they want to protect their goal. Ben White kinks it in the back line. And Elanus, he drops inside Tomiyasu. You could say, was Tomiyasu's body shape really good? He never got a chance to correct it because Elanusi played a wonderful early pass into Armstrong, perfectly timed, early shot. Ramsdale didn't even get a chance to move his feet or set himself in any which way or form in the goal. 
That's it. End of story. I think it's a good goal. Their um, only chance. <laughs> it's their only shot. It's a bit frustrating. Out of nowhere, they have a couple of more shots just after that in a period. We're starting to wonder, are we heading towards a undeserved defeat here? So on, on Tomiyasu, there's a couple of things I want to say. And I just want to give a, a counter view, rather, because I don't disagree sure. with it massively. Um, but I want to give a counter view. And you called it, you actually said it. James Ward-Prowse is the best set-piece taker in the league. And if they were going to score, it was going to be a set-piece, long throw, or a corner. Um, there were so many corners in this game. I think way more than... <laughs> I looked at Liverpool versus Southampton stats to see if I was um, you know, seeing things correctly. Way more corners, mm-hmm. way more throw-ins, way more restarts, long throws into our box. We had the perfect backfall for that occasion. When we're 1-1 and we're looking for build-up, and Martinelli has gone a bit quiet, we then look for something else. We look for a build-up. When they sit on Thomas Pye, we want we want something else. We want somebody who can come inside. But I remember Brentford last year when the ball bounced over our centre-backs and they long throws into our net, headed it in. How many corners do we have to head out? We forget these things. We forget what could have happened if we didn't have the right physicality in our box. If we can see two set-piece goals... We're having a much different conversation this morning about a defeat. Do you see what I mean? And we need to focus on what really the issue is, considering this Arsenal team has not conceded a goal in the first 30 minutes all season, has got the best away record conceding a goal. The real issue was what we did at the other end, which was put the ball in the back of the net. We did not do that. And if we do that, we're in a, we're in a much better place. Now, I'll just give you the third little caveat to this. The way we're playing, sometimes you have to read your own team. I'm thinking Arteta thought Chad Adams was going to start, so he wanted more physicality up front. They had Stuart Armstrong and Ariba. I mean, crikey, they are nothing. right? So you're looking at our four defenders, and you're thinking, do we need to start them? But we made a choice. Now, the way we're playing at the moment, should we flip it around? Should we start with a Tierney when we're hot, when we're really hot, and we're pushing on because we, we've got fatigue in our legs, and then end the game with a shutdown guy? rather than start mm, the shutdown yeah. guy and then respond. So again, you have to read your own team as well as your position. Because we started this game absolutely fantastically well. I had no complaints at all. And I was literally thinking, how how many is this going to be? Is that the time for team to be on the pitch in, in the good times? And when it gets a bit, we need to settle this game down and shut it. That's when you bring Tommy Asu in. Do you see what I mean? Yep. But we may have conceded from a long throw, but it, was, it didn't work out that way, did it? We, the corners, we defended really well, and so we haven't got that bad memory to really balance out our thinking. So that's just me giving you another view as to why I understand the, the selection. But maybe going forward, where we are in the season, play the game versus our energy levels, have the high-energy starters on, and shut the game down late. Maybe we should go that way going forward. Yeah, uh, I think that's a very... Very fair point, Clive. And so, um, well, let's do this because I, I want to talk a little more about what went wrong in the second half tactically. It, you know, is there something here? You know, the fatigue issue, is that just that? Is there something that teams are adjusting to? Because they've got a lot of video on us now. You know, you would say, well, if they understand how to shut us down, why not just do it from the start? Fair point, right? I mean, he clearly didn't do it from the start. What he did from the start didn't work at all. It was terrible. Um so, so there's a lot of questions to be asked there. I think it's also worth pointing out, by the way, this is a very weakened Southampton team. They were missing a lot of players, including Che Adams. Um, so 
You know, this this is one where I think we're going to kick ourselves. You know, drawing away in the Premier League is never a disaster, but whether you want to blame the ref or the performances or jaded or fatigued, with the way we started and with this team, I know it is a bogey ground for us. We have not won there since the Invincibles, I think, something like that. But this is one that I think we're going to look back and kick ourselves on just a little bit. So let's do this, though. I I am proud to say that this this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. We talk... Uh, about mental health when we talk about better help. And I think it's interesting because sometimes when we talk about mental health, it's just like we think about crisis. And certainly it is something that we should be doing when we are in crisis. But I think it is something that we should think about as a way to solve problems, as maintenance, as staying healthy. And I've said this a lot when I've talked about better help, the, the fact that some of us will focus on exercise or about focus on our nutrition. But not focusing on your mental health is arguably missing the part of your body that is most determinant of your your overall health and well-being, your physical health, your emotional health. You can unload stress. You can heal emotionally. You can help with anxiety and depression. But you can also figure out what the obstacles are. You know, I find I'm getting to a point in my life now where I'm like, what really contributes to my happiness? How can I maximize the things in my life that are contributing to my happiness? And we have so many obstacles, right? Like our phones are constantly in our hand. We're constantly staring into these little screens being taken out of the moment. So it can be hard. And and focusing on mental health, I think, is just a way to really try to isolate the things that make you happy, healthy, and and successful in life. So uh, this is really easy. It's online help. You can get matched with therapists instantly. There's... um. Uh, you can do it camera on, camera off, so it can be totally anonymous. They have specialists that may not be available in your area. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. If you're not happy with the therapist, no problem. You can change to a new one. So it, it is a perfect way to solve problems using therapy, which I've done, and I, I can't say enough good things about it. So when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash vision. Vision. Do it now. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay. So, Tim, the the second half of this match, it, 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 is, it is frustrating because this is why I say control what you can. We can't control the refs. You know, we can't necessarily even control finishing. You say, well, of course you can. No, you know, it's, it's variance. But you can control the details keeping the distances right, keeping the press right. I started to see things in the second half that I think were sloppy, and that's something we don't expect under Arteta. I saw press not being triggered in time. If you watch back, there's a lot of times Shaka is pointing, gesticulating, shouting, like, go there. You're supposed to be there. The press wasn't in shape. And here's what you know. If you press and you don't get it right, that's – Real bad, right? You, you. That's when you can get really exposed. So I thought the press was a little sloppy. Arteta really fixated on the distances, and I thought it was so obvious. There were times Party was getting it. You couldn't see an Arsenal player in the camera shot. So I'm, I'm curious if you, if you are willing to put this all down to fatigue or not, because I think in terms of not matching Leeds' intensity in the second half last week and not being able to complete passes, and that happening again this week, it's redolent of like the Brighton game of last season or the Palace home game where we would go through these stretches, especially with Leeds, by the way, like the Palace home game last season of just not stringing three passes together. And so maybe there's the whiskers coming out in me, but I'm like, you know what? I have seen this with us before and I've seen it now in second halves twice again. 
I don't want those kind of things back in my life. I guess I, I like what I've been seeing. So are you seeing patterns that, that may be a little reminiscent of challenges we faced before, or are you just seeing a fatigue side that's had a couple of difficult away matches? What, what's your, what's your root cause theory here? My root cause theory is very much fatigue because uh, of, mm-hmm. yeah, like I said, the the way we're starting, like if it was patches, but it's not patches, it's like we start and then it just kind of slowly yeah, goes down. Yeah, last half hours, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, if you look around the Premier League at the moment, I think there's a lot of that going on. I don't know if you uh, endured Chelsea versus Manchester United. Oh, um, I did indeed. Yeah. And the hilarity at the end. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wasn't good, was it? <laughs> no, it's terrible. Um, by the way, um, don't bother with the World Cup group stages. going to be absolutely dreadful. Um, we're seeing like we're seeing some of that now. Um so I, I do think it's leggy, leggy players going out into the heat and dragging their asses. Around. Yeah, yeah. And I think so. A, a kind of quick point I'd make, and I don't want to boohoo over this because we could be missing bigger players and it could be worse. But I think missing Smith Rowe and Elneny in this period is beginning to show just those two rotation players who can play both Europa League and Premier League minutes. Both players mm-hmm. should feel comfortable putting into that. And that's. You know that we're missing those players. Like we're relying on a core of fourteen to fifteen, whereas they'd make it sixteen or seventeen. You know, um, and that's you know that's that's just that's just the way it is. So we're we're missing a couple of those kind of trusted depth players. Um, yeah, and uh, as Clive says in the chat, Zinchenko um, as well. You know, look pretty much no one ever has a fully fit squad in October, but you know, we are missing those players and, and we don't have the biggest squad yet. We've still got to add that depth as we go. So we're missing a little bit of that. And I think also basically, I think in this period, when you've got nine games in a month, I think fatigue's unavoidable, no matter which way you, you slice it. So the conversation about whether we should have been going this strong in the Europa League absolutely on the table of course it's on the table it was always on the table the the difficulty about that discussion of course is that when we start to say things like that in our minds we think that the alternate reality is the perfect one where um we pick the kids in all the Europa League games and we win those games and everything's fine whereas you know the alternate reality when you plot it might not be like that it might be that we drop points and then PSV becomes a massive must-win game and we have to put all our resources into that, all our resources into Zurich. Basically, there was going to be a stretch in this period and I think the kind of the gamble or the decision rather that the staff have taken is let's make this the stretch period so that we're fresher for Chelsea and Wolves. I think mm-hmm. what they want to do is, I, listen, I still think, honestly, the team might be... I, I've been kind of behind the Europa League selections to this point on Mm -hmm. Thursday I think we've got some decisions to make but I still think Arteta will go quite strong Um, I do I think he'll want to get that point Um, and I've got a feeling I've already made peace with the fact it might be stronger than I might like it to be whereas I might think do you know what I know it's not ideal but we might have to make like some sub sub ideal decisions and you know maybe have the big guys on the bench and try and draw it and if we need them with 20 minutes to go go from there I don't think that's what will happen I think what they're banking on is making that Zurich home game a complete non-event where there's 20,000 people in the stadium and they go for a pint after 25 minutes and they go home on 80 minutes because it really is the B team and there's nothing riding on it 
Because um, Chelsea away is after that one. Chelsea yeah. away and then, you know, Brighton in the League Cup, I think that's going to be pretty second string as well. And then Wolves away before the break. And I think we want to yep. finish strongly. So I think we decided to make this the stretch period. And we, we, we've done all right. We've done all right. L- like Clive said, you should probably flip the last two Premier League results. Leeds should have been a draw and this should have been a 1-0 win. But we kind of done all right. And I think we had to take that decision somewhere. Um, but yes, I do think there is fatigue. The, the one thing I'd say is though, I, again, I read like loads of people saying, oh, the subs haven't made any impact and and things like that. And I really expected that to show up. I don't think it did. I thought Inketia played well when he came on. I thought the issue was that we weren't getting the ball up there enough, but I thought he was mm-hmm. really physical, really imposing on the few occasions it was. I think he was ready to be a nuisance, and he was on a couple of occasions, and he won some free kicks and things like that. Um, and, and Tierney was good, and yeah, I kind of think that that probably justifies the fact he should have started. And I saw a lot of people talking about Fabio Vieira, and it's it's really weird because when you listen on the radio, you don't have the time in front of you. So you kind of lose a sense of that. And when I was reading a lot of the comments about Vieira, I thought he'd come on with about 20 minutes to go. He came it's on like in eight. his 83rd minute, he came yeah. on. And I was a bit like, hmm, I'm not sure I ever remember a sub coming on in the 83rd minute and like really changing the direction of a game and I was like and and of course yeah he wasn't really involved but neither had Odegaard really been before him and I was like why why are people so and then in the 91st minute he gives the ball away he gives like away quite a simple pass and I was like ah that's why that's why people think Vieira was fucking terrible because of that Mm. one moment which actually didn't amount to anything he got it straight back but it was a bit like a frustration maybe below the surface that he hadn't completely changed the direction of the game. And then he gives the ball away in the last minute. So everyone goes away going, oh, he was awful. And and he wasn't. He just, he didn't meaningfully impact the game, but subs don't in the 83rd minute. And and I just think in the coming weeks, we're going to, or sorry, in the coming week, we might just have to make some decisions. Like, can you trust Eddie and Ketia up front at home to Nottingham Forest? Can you do that? Obviously, you'd prefer to play Gabriel Jesus, but can you do that? Can you trust Fabio Vieira to play some of those minutes? And that's it, it's we're going to have to let the perfect, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to have to let the perfect not be the enemy of the good. I think, and that that's kind of what I got my eye on over these next two games without taking either of them for granted because I don't think either of them is going to be a walkover by any means. Well, and you see how different it can be because, like, look at a Liverpool, a team that was getting mid-90s, high-90s points. Take two key players out of their team with injuries or they, you know, transfer one away, and they're very much mid-table right now. Um, we're we're sort of in that boat in the sense that I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of players I'd feel comfortable going with from the start. Um, I, I think... It is, but you know, an Odegaard too, it's interesting because I I don't think it was a perfect Odegaard game. And I think in the second half, Clive, he started to fade, but everything good we did in the first half had some Odegaard imprint on it. And in addition to that, I think we should at least flag this moment because it's important. He made an unbelievable intervention to stop a counterattack in the first half. I think it might've been off of our corner or off of a set piece, but it was Really, really good. And I'm going to find it here. 39th minute. Yep. It's a sensational stop from Odegaard um, stopping a counterattack. I think you see with players like an Odegaard, 
even if they're not at their best, they can really be influential in the critical moments. And, and he was. And so I would have left him on. I mean, I, I think the frustration for me is, do you bring on a Vieira for a Shaka, for example, who obviously was awesome, our best player again, or one of them, if not, you know, if not Gabby, scores the goal. But the like for like may have frustrated people. In general, I think the substitutes just struggled to influence the game. And I also see a lot of criticism coming in from for Enkedia now. A lot of sort of, yeah, maybe uh, maybe we shouldn't have made this decision off of his hot run at the end of last season. I don't think we've seen enough of Eddie to know that for sure. Um, so I, you know, I'm not really sure what people are are judging based on. I probably would have brought Eddie in for Jesus and played him through the middle because I think we saw midweek he's not as effective out wide, and he, when he comes on, he comes on to play out wide at first. So I thought that was an interesting choice. What's your take on the subs? Timing, specific decisions, or ability or not lack of ability to to turn the game for us. Yeah, so let's do Vieira first. Um, Please. So, yeah, everyone said Odegaard should have stayed on. Well, Odegaard's was running was not great. His positioning was very, very wide because he, he went outside of the block to get the ball. I think that hurt mm-hmm. us a little bit. His knee lift had disappeared by the time he came off. And and twenty people say he should have stayed on. And you're right, it was the eighty second minute. We're talking eight minutes of normal time. You know, can't someone else ever go? Yeah, a thirty million pound player can't he ever go? So Mm -hmm. that's so that's not an issue for me. Vieira, Tim's right. He did lose the ball also on top of that Tim a couple of times. We came off the sideline, got bullied, but Odegaard was getting bullied. So no drama there. The referee didn't let it didn't do anything, so didn't protect the ball enough. Um, Eddie now, the frustration with Eddie maybe, and this is my frustration, is sometimes you have things which are actual facts, you know, data-related, etc., and sometimes it's just the style of a player doesn't always fit your eye, do you know what I mean? And sometimes mm-hmm. for me when Eddie comes on, he comes on like a player that's played five 90s in a row. He just comes on and says, yeah, I'm part of this group. Let me do what everyone else is doing. Sometimes when a sub comes on, you want him to do everything else everyone else is doing and more. Can you do yeah, absolutely yeah. more? You've had time to rest. I know you are part of the group, mate. You are part of the players on decent money. Absolutely. But can you do more? Just show me more. We want more from the other guys who have played the 1090s. You know, I want you to give me more. And we talk about Odegaard. And this is where I think he was very unlucky because he has laid on guilt-ass chances. He's had this loud goal. He's missed one himself. He flipped one over for Jesus' volley. And he's laid in Eddie late. That slip pass on Eddie's right foot that he's dragged across the goal again. Now, if you're looking for signposts for the future, this is the problem we have. Because if Jesus Balogun goes scoring again in France, by the way, yeah, <laughs> if Jesus goes a little bit cold, a little bit cold, which he's a little bit cold at the moment, while still working incredibly hard for the group, um, we need someone else to get hot. And what do we have? We had Saka playing loads of minutes, um, doing well. You know, scored four goals in the last four, five games, wherever it is. Martinelli looking absolutely fantastic until he runs out of energy. You know, and so. We're really reliant on Eddie to be everything and also carry the minutes that Smith Rowe would normally have, given us that offensive punch. I think he scored 10 goals last year. What would we do for three goals at this point right now? You know, and 
And so we are on the stretch. And, and Tim's right, absolutely bang on right. I think the way we're approaching this is exactly as he said it. And, and let me add a little bit on top of that. For the Zurich game, if we are going to play the absolute B team with youth players in it, that's the same team that gets a warm-up for the Brighton game. You know what I mean? So the plan is, is there ahead. They get a warm-up, they get the rust out for the Brighton game when it actually matters, the competition that we want to progress in, although I didn't, don't care too much myself. But this is what I mean? So the plan is right there for us. We're just a couple like. But I must admit, I've been supporting Arsenal, watching Arsenal since 1980, 1978, my first live game. And I swear, every single season I've said we're a couple like. Do you know what I mean? And and that is just the way it goes. But we are a couple light. And I'm a little bit more attuned to that this year because last year I was of the opinion we need to clean up the dressing room and I don't mind us going skinny because there's a greater good ahead. This year, I've got a different opinion. We need to achieve what we need to achieve. This is on an upward escalator trajectory. It cannot stall because we are being conservative and we're trying to build a culture. We need to add... And we need to loan out people, need to play, and we need to add. And there's no excuses, no debate in my mind. We need to add this group. There are players in this group that do not want to listen to Europa League music again. And so we need to add. Simple as that. Yeah. Um, I'll stay with you for a second, Clive. Do you, do you think it was interesting that Tommy moved to right back when Tierney came on rather than just the straight swap? Um, not really. And this is, again... The one thing we can't really focus on or comment on to with any great certainty, we can all have our opinions about the football, the players, the substitutions, the manager, who can do what in the box, who can do what defending. We can all have that opinion. What we don't see is the medical data on the players. And maybe there are some in certain situations that we're just not aware of that would dictate those movements. doesn't worry me in the slightest uh, yeah. that Ben White came off. He's been absolutely brilliant. Um, he does feel like he potentially, I'm looking maybe a little bit sensitively, Elliot, but um, he's playing fine. I love the rotation we're doing at the moment with the back group. I just think maybe mm -hmm. we could flip it around Tini and Tommy Asu just to ride our good moments a bit better, a bit harder. And then maybe as we slow, we solidify the game, as I said earlier. Yeah, it's funny because I, I look at this, sometimes the fixture computer kills you. And sometimes it gives you an opportunity. Gave us an opportunity early in the season, right? We were looking pretty good. People weren't sure if they could trust us. And it gave us two hard games. But teams that maybe aren't playing that well in Spurs and Liverpool, and it gave it to us at home. And we beat them, and we beat them deservedly. And, and I think it confirmed that we're for real. I think the fixture computer has given us another gift. Because these are two games where maybe, maybe, maybe the seed of doubt creeps in. Two second halves that are a little worrying. Bullied a little. You know, passing game going a little. Now we get Forrest at home. You got to go smack Forrest at home. And I, I understand that if we get a result at PSV, we can literally play the kids against Zurich. I'm going to level with you. I think we can play the kids against Zurich anyway. I think they're really, really bad. And Zurich at the Emirates is a win, period. I would rotate out for this week any player who even has a hint of not feeling fresh. I don't think Jesus should play. I don't think Martinelli should play. I don't think Thomas Party should play. I don't think Ben White should play. I probably wouldn't play Odegaard. The rest, you probably not Saka either. Because I want to go beat Forrest 5-0. 
and Jesus gets his hat trick, and everyone says, that ah, was a blip, two hard away games, they were a little fatigued, they're back. Because then after that, we got to go to Chelsea, who are no great shakes themselves. But we don't want to be going there with that seed of doubt in our mind. And so I do think we've got some interesting decisions coming up. And I do think, Tim, that the the squad feels a bit like... It's funny because uh, Arteta was asked about the squad. And he said, the squad's the squad, same one we've had all season, same one we're going to have for the foreseeable future. He didn't say, like, there's no issue, we're not thin. You know, he... He answered in a way where he said, like, this is our squad, but without saying it's enough. I, I think if he would, you know, if you got a medicinal gummy into him and waited half an hour and asked him again, he'd be like, bro, I wish I had more players, bro. <laughs> I think I think there'd be some of that going on. Um, do you Do you think he's starting to look at this group and feel that it's a bit light? I think this is a game where clearly we need to change it. The passing wasn't going for us, and... The subs don't come very quickly. And I always feel like when the subs don't come quickly, when the game's going against you, it's a bit of an indication that you're not really sure who you trust to come on and change it in your favor. Yeah, definitely. And the the thing I looked at was it was when the goal went in that he called the subs um, and did them, which, you know, maybe a bit reactive. Um, although to be fair, it's not like the Southampton goal was massively coming or anything like that, but it's at the point the goal goes in, right? And, you know, there's probably a reason for that. Like, oh God, the mood's sagged. We need to bring something else into this game. But I mean, I think regardless of the game state, they were the changes that were probably going to happen. Tierney and Nketiah, mm-hmm. first ones off the bench kind of thing. Like, of course he wants more players. I mean, we tried to sign one unsuccessfully on deadline day. So that shows you wanted at least one more. And I think we know that was because of the El Elneny injury. And actually what they really wanted to spend their deadline day doing was trying to get that winger in. Um, and they ended up not getting either. So I think Arteta's, you know, or sorry, the club's behaviour shows you um, as much that, that they wanted at least one more in, and ideally two. They probably want a midfielder and a winger, and that, that feels about right to me. I don't think there are any serious depth issues in the defence because that's where you're seeing, as Clive said, good rotation, um, more or less at the moment. It's in other areas. And, you know, in the midfield, maybe we look a bit tired. It's always Xhaka party. Um, at the moment in these Premier League games and, you know, Sambi's kind of playing the Europa League games, which which has a value in not playing party and also giving him a little bit of time. But yeah, it, like I said at the outset, it's it's a, it's a core of like 40, it's a core of like 15 or 16 when really you want, we want it to be a core of 17 or 18. Absolutely no doubt. I, I, I think you're right in terms of the decisions that have to be made. One of the things um, I think, Arsenal have been doing with their Europa League selection is they like one of the like in every area of the team they've been playing like one senior player at least so on the wings it's been one of Saka or Martinelli and then you've had a Nelson or Marquinhos on the other side in midfield it's usually Xhaka that plays there like you get an adult uh, there and then in defence one of Gabriel or Saliba plays and and you know, look, the fullbacks, the fullbacks are all like first team players anyway, so that's kind of fine. And you know, for Zurich, hopefully we will be able to let that go. Might have to let that go against PSV. I don't think he will, but like mm. I say, like you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good um well, at so the yeah. moment. So yeah, it will be really interesting. I still think he'll go quite strong for PSV, um, to be honest. I I I 
not not like absolutely full strength, but I think one of Saka, Odegaard or Jesus will play, um, definitely. To be honest, on the evidence of this game, of the three, I think Saka looks the freshest yeah. at the moment. I think yeah. Je- like Odegaard's coming off a lot at the moment, and, and I think that's that's kind of right. Jesus, yeah, looking a little bit leggy. Also, I as, as much as I think you're right as well, and Jesus needs a goal, I kind of think Eddie needs a goal. Um, as well, I, I I think he really needs to feel more comfortable and involved in this group, and that's what I mean about maybe you play him against Forest as well. But again, like I think maybe we're going to look at this next three games as a block as well, because you know, like you say, without taking anything for granted, Forest Zurich at home on the back of PSV away. That's why I think he might go strong against PSV as well, because he might just think. I've got an opportunity, maybe certainly against Zurich, maybe against Forest to change one of those players, or maybe sit Saka down or sit Jesus down for that game. And 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 he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to trust some of these guys a little bit more at some point. Because we saw what happened last season when a little bit more by necessity, we tried to go with the same eleven or twelve guys all season. Like we saw what happened. Went by the time April rolled around, and and I don't I don't think um, we'll want to make that mistake again. Uh, there might be a sense with some players he's just trying to get them to the World Cup, like particularly someone like Erdegaard who's not going to play in the World Cup anyway. Um, but and and I do think you'll see activity in January for Arsenal. I I wouldn't mind betting we see two players um, come in. I think there'll be at least one in January. Um, if Arsenal sense that there's an opportunity to do that. So yeah, there's, there's a little bit of management to be done. There's a little bit of, um, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of, um, I'm going to have to trust you today, whether it's Vieira or Nketiah, um, and, and give them, it's not even really about giving them the opportunity, but just managing what we have, uh, and what we have, we hold. Yeah. And I also think it's about accepting that this has been an unusual season in that we've been good in every game. <laughs> like you're not going to be good in every game, especially away in the premier league. There are going to be days when it just doesn't click. We dominated the earliest phases of this game. We didn't put it away. And then, you know what? We struggled away in the second half, which can happen. We did that against Leeds, and it was enough to win. We did that in this game. And because we didn't get the second goal, we deserved either through our own finishing or through the referee. We didn't win, but you know what? I don't know if you watched the City game this weekend. They got away with one. They very much got away with one. And Chelsea and United look rubbish. And Spurs look rubbish. And Liverpool are a mess. They lost to Forest. So, you know, Clive, I mean, we drew away. And oh, by the way, we stretched our lead over Liverpool. We stretched our lead over Spurs. We didn't lose any ground to United or Chelsea. The irony is, as I said earlier, when we did the data review, the quarter season data review on, on Patreon, which I strongly recommend you, you give a look to because it'll remind you that we're really quite good. The team to worry about is Newcastle. They're not coming. They're here. And, you know, all this talk about, oh, man, Conte, they're playing terrible, which can only mean one thing. They're going to be great soon. How's that working out? They're not great because they're not great. <laughs> Like it, it's pretty logical. Um, when you look around the league and you see what happened this weekend, you see what happened in midweek. Does it give you pause to not maybe be a little too harsh on these performances as a reminder that 
City aside, and even maybe City to some extent, but City aside, there is no perfect team in the Premier League, and it is a hard league. And oh, by the way, these other teams aren't exactly tearing up, pulling up trees, you know? Yeah, we're, we're doing fine, aren't we? I mean, literally, it's only the second game we haven't won all season. And in Two both teams the, in the top seven gain ground on us, Newcastle yeah. and City. That's it. <laughs> exactly. The second game, let's be honest, Old Trafford still stings me. If Martinelli's goals allowed, yep. they, they haven't got yep. a hope. And um, and this game could have easily, easily gone our, our way. But if anything, the only team that maybe deserved, if, we, if we'd have lost, we could have had no complaints, was Leeds, right? And we dug in there and won. So... Yeah, you just take it. It's called it's called a football season. That's what it is, right? You win some, you lose mm-hmm. some. But we are far on the more positive side of that ledger. But, you know, we're quite fortunate in some ways that it is PSV we're playing or played last week and not Man City. Because that's another emotional game that would have drained us, mm-hmm. which could have made we lose against Southampton quite easily, you know, out of nowhere. And I, I don't want to make you worried, Elliot, and ruin your Christmas, but... I'm looking at January right now, and we've got Newcastle, Spurs, and Manchester United in January, and they're going to flip the Man City game into January, right? So, have a look man- at April too. <laughs> yeah, managing a a clutch of high pressure games is what we need to do, and this is like a a run, a, a rehearsal for that. Right? We we came through Liverpool, we came through Spurs, we managed to top our European group. We had a couple of lumpy away performances. We got 4.6. No one has gained any ground us apart from the team that everyone knows is going to probably catch us if they put more petrol in the tank in the, in the in January, which they have got the money to do so. And um, Newcastle are looking at, like we were last year. No Europe, one, playing once a week, nice and fresh, turning up to Spurs, ambushing them, and... Um, Walking away the points. That's what we did last year a lot. No one took us seriously. But we were in Europe. We were rested. We were coached. I'm looking at Eddie Howe. I'm looking at what he's doing. Their passing patterns are very similar to ours. And we, we there's a problem coming around the corner there. Right? So, mm. so again, we have to adjust to that. I agree with him 100%. January is very important to us. But also, making sure we get to the point where we can have a rest. And this is something that I think this is a unique season and it suits Arsenal. It really does. We need that break. We need that time. We need that refreshing because we are still the youngest team in the league. We have young legs that need that breast, need that break, and they come back again and we can go again. And if we layer on top, I think we're going to surprise people in the second half of the season rather than people think, oh, Arsenal going to fall away. No, the World Cup break is an absolute massive advantage for us because we haven't got too many starters going to the World Cup and we have plenty of people that are going to be resting and getting their sun lotion out in Dubai. Plenty of people going there. So I think we have a really strong position. So how we focus on Chelsea, Wolves in particular and Forest is going to really set us up and set up our executive. And I promise you, all that six-week World Cup break, we're going to be talking about who are we getting in? How can we make this better? Where do we need to add? We've lost the rotation. And just one last thing. I was talking to Andrew last week on the Oscast about Samuel Conga, what's, what's his best position. Mm-hmm. And, sorry me. And basically, <laughs> I went. I looked at the preseason games and where Sambi was coming on. And he was coming on everywhere but the number six. And it's obvious to me that we had a, we had a rotation, six midfielders for three positions. Vieira and Odegaard, 
Sambi and Shaka, El Nene and Party in twos. And that was what potentially we were going to have. We've lost that rotation. And also Smith Rowe had that rotation as well. We've lost that rotation. And now we're seeing people play out of position, maybe not look so sharp in certain parts of the game. We've lost a bit of that and we're trying to make this work. So the depth angle is slightly gone. And we only worry about that when we draw a game. We don't worry about that if we are really efficient in our sunny moments. And so, yeah, we got we got challenges ahead, mate. Groups of games that are very, very top class that we have to manage. We've done it really well so far. We've got to do it again in January for sure. Yeah, and, and I think one thing to bear in mind about this game, again, I, I know Tim pointed it out. We allowed 0.6 expected goals in this game. The joint fewest of any team in any Premier League match that was played over the weekend. So while I think our game left us a little bit, and after the first half, we didn't create what we should have. It wasn't like we were besieged. I mean, Leeds created 2.2 expected goals, okay? And to be fair, a chunk of that is penalties, but even without the, a penalty, but even without it, it's, you know, 1.5, 1.4. So I think it's the point that this game was more about not taking our chances early and then struggling to really find our fluency in the second half. Um, you know, they had 10 shots. It, it, we didn't get battered. We just, we lost our way. And I think the, the only thing I would say is that if I do have a concern about this team a little bit, it, it is that, you know, we got a young guy on the left wing. We got a young guy on the right wing. We got a not so young guy, you know, at 10. We got a coming into his prime striker who was bought to pull it all together. On the day when the young guys maybe don't finish, on the days when they're still learning their game, because they are, that guy wins you games. And this would have been a great example of a game where he could have had a hat trick, and we come away saying, this is why we bought Jesus, didn't have our best in the second half, didn't matter, he had won it in the first half. And he didn't. And that's that's just the way it is. And, and the problem right now is that, to the extent that there is a problem, is there someone that's going to come in from the bench and turn the game? We paid Eddie to be that guy. So whether you love him or you think he's less than he should be or more than he should be, he's your favorite player, he's your least favorite player. We didn't give Eddie six figures a week to play Europa League group games. That's not, you don't, you don't need to pay someone to do that. We didn't pay Eddie six figures a week to win us the game against Brighton in the League Cup. We paid him because we felt on the days when we need someone to come off the bench and score a winner, he has that ability. Or, oh, by the way, if we have to rotate out for Forrest at home, he can come in and he can he can do the job on that day. So he's going to need a goal. And maybe this midweek game is a chance for him to get one. We'll see how it goes. This is not panic. This is not meltdown. This is not a problem. This is some things the last two weeks of Premier League fixtures where our game has left us in a second half, and I think it is the first time in the season where we can say, hmm, it didn't look right. And, you know, I think by the fact that we're this far into the season and, you know, we're sitting where we do in the table, you, you need to be able to do some critical analysis without letting that critical analysis undermine your understanding of how things happen in context. So I think there's a little there there, but not much there there if that makes any sense. <laughs> Let's leave that there. We do play again on Thursday. We will have all the usual uh, Patreon content throughout the week, and thanks to everyone who's over there, and thanks to everyone who's over here. Um, by the way, oh gosh, let's see if I can find this. Oh, 
Okay. Yes, I did email the winner, but I do want to congratulate Samuel Brown. Samuel Brown did win the tickets to the Brighton uh, game in the Carabao Cup. So congrats to Samuel Brown, and he's been emailed, and hopefully we'll respond to that email and claim the tickets. If not, uh, in the next day or two here, I will uh, pull another random number generator number and uh, award the tickets to someone else. So, uh, Samuel, get on it. Okay, let's leave it there. Tim's on Twitter, at Stoberto. Thank you very much. My pleasure, as always. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. <laughs> My name is Alex. You think about me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Let us know what you thought. Did we go hard enough on the referee? Should it have been 80 minutes on the referee? You know, we love feedback, and we love you. Thank you so much for being here. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal's end. PSV Note. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com